anyone out there who's watching on Facebook and my mother. <laughs> my name is Renee. I uh, am the host of Speaking Volumes, Books, Writing, and the World of Publishing. And I am very excited to be here uh, this evening with author Nora Zelovansky. We are talking about her latest novel, Competitive Grieving, uh, which, and I'll just say that the title is exactly what caught me with this book. I was like, that's a great title and I want to know more. And I'm very glad I picked it up. Uh, so we're here to talk about her latest book. Uh, first, let me tell you a little bit about uh, Nora herself. So Nora Zelovansky is an author, journalist, editor, and brand writer and consultant. Her work has appeared in many publications, including the New York Times, Vanity Fair, and Travel and Leisure. Nora is the author of Will You, Won't You Want Me? Semi-Charmed Life, and her latest book, as I mentioned, is Competitive Grieving. Uh, delayed coming-of-age stories, Nora's novels are inspired by the universal struggle to let go of the past and reimagine oneself. Uh, so this book, Competitive Grieving, it is a dark yet touching comedy and unlikely love story that follows the main character, Ren, through the chaotic aftermath of her closest friend, Stuart's death. Instead of weeping, Ren dreams up the perfect funeral plans for everyone from the corner bodega owner to her parents. When Stuart's mother assigns the task of sorting through his possessions alongside the oddly charming lawyer, George, Ren finds herself at the epicenter of a world she wants no part in. She finds herself wondering, did she even know this person? And she once considered an extension of herself. Uh, before we start uh, chatting with Nora here, I just want to let everyone know that if you want more information about uh, any of Nora's books, you can visit her website, norazelovansky.com. Uh, and if you are interested in this book specifically, we recommend you going to bookshop.org, uh, or you can also visit the Crowded Bookshelf website, which is crowded-bookshelf.com. Uh, Nora, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk to you. I am too. Um, so I like to start, uh, before we jump, jump right into the book, uh, start with what I've decided to call author icebreaker questions. Mm -hmm. So my first question for you is, if you could have tea or some other kind of drink with three writers, <laughs> living or dead, who would they be? So I think that it would be um, a martini <laughs> yeah, okay. in this context, because um I think I would choose, this is always like so hard, right? Cause there's like many ways you could go. Um, but I think that, uh, I would have to do, um, Dorothy Parker, okay. um, Jane Austen and Joan Didion, okay. um, which I think would be like a very strange conversation, but, um, I just, they're all to me, like such brilliant, funny, smart, like amazing writers. Um, and so, so I think it would be those three. Yeah. That would be a very, that's, that's a whole range of like topics and experiences. And I think that would be, be very stimulating. Great, I think. Yes. yes. <laughs> great conversation for sure. Um, what is your most bizarre writing ritual or what is your most basic writing ritual? So, I mean, I don't even know what's bizarre and what's not, but, um, I, I have this habit while I'm writing, um, like when I'm trying to think about something or, or think something through, uh, it's like an unconscious habit where I get up and I walk to my refrigerator and I open it and I don't take anything out and I close it and I come back and I sit back down yeah. like over and over and over again. Um, so I definitely think, uh, that's a pretty bizarre ritual. Um, a more basic 
writing ritual is that um, if I'm in the middle of writing a first draft of something, um, I I never finish like a chapter when I'm sitting down to write, like I always leave it hanging a little bit so that when I come back to write the next time, Mm -hmm. I know exactly what I want to do. And I'm not just like starting from scratch at the beginning of a chapter, just a little bit less intimidating for me. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I, I do that sometimes myself in my own writing, but I do get mad at myself when I, when I picked a really bad spot and I come back and I'm kind of reading and I clearly was about to set up something, but then I can't for the life of me remember what it was. What like, was it? Yeah, it's like, it was so good. And I didn't like leave my, like not even like a little like hint or anything. Oh, it's the worst. You definitely have to leave yourself notes. Yeah, something sure. something to jog the memory. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, last icebreaker question is, what is a genre of book that you haven't written, but you would like to? Um. Well, there's so many that I wish like, um, but I um, am a lover of mysteries. Um, I think partially because my mom is. And so I was like exposed to it early. Yeah. Um, she used to read me like old school Dorothy Sayers and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, I think I do have a fantasy of writing like a cozy mystery, mm-hmm. but instead of having it be sort of a traditional one, having setting it in like a contemporary setting. Yeah. Um, okay. Do you have like what your because like cozy mystery titles are maybe some of my favorite book titles? Do you have an idea of what yours would be? Oh my god, no! But I need to think about that because that's like an amazing, an amazing thought. Yeah, it's like yeah. competitive something. Yeah, there you are. <laughs> Anything competitive? We're like, hmm, tell me more. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right, great. Yes, I, I can also really, relate. Like murder on the Crosstown Express. Okay, yeah, there you go. Anything with murder too, also a good way to catch attention. Yes. Yes, I'm I'm also not, I mean, I read mysteries and I enjoy a good mystery. And I, it's probably also partly because of my mother, because she is also into the, she's into the murder mysteries, the gruesome one. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, yeah, that she kind of indoctrinated me as well. Yeah. All right. Well, now now that we've gotten to know each other a little bit more, uh, let's talk about what we're here to talk about, which is competitive grieving. Um, and this it's been out for, I want to say like a month, a month and a half now. Um, I'm like, where? What month is it? It's yeah, like, it's like a month and a half. Yeah, yeah. It's been a, it's been a while. So yeah. Um, so my first question, and it's not the most unusual book topic I've ever come across, but it is a little. You know, you don't often pick up books about people who are grieving the loss of their friend. Um, where, where did the kind of idea for this book come from? Um, so, um, that's like potentially a very long answer, but I'll try to give you a reasonable one. Um, in, in 2017, um, which was like a, a very sort of difficult year for me personally, and and just sort of like, not even just difficult, but just like positive and negative and all these things. Um, one of my best friends from childhood died, um, and in the aftermath, um, things got really messy. Um, and he was somebody who a lot of people felt very close to. He was like an extremely charismatic person, very gifted, um, funny, brilliant kind of creative person. And um, in the aftermath, there was a lot of like competitive grieving. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, people... 
um, wanting to be recognized as like his closest person. And it was kind of shocking to me to realize like how many people felt like they were his like closest person mm-hmm. um, or one of them. And, um, and it, it really made me question like, well, am I, am I right about this? Like, was, am I right about what our relationship was and how do I reconcile this now that he's gone? Cause it's like, I can't ask him. Yeah. Um, and so it, it literally inspired actually, and this has never happened to me before, but it inspired the title before it inspired the book. I I literally was on the phone with a friend and I was like frustrated with some of the behavior, what I interpreted it as um, sort of not ideal behavior of some people in his circle. And I was like, I'm going to write a book called, I'm going to, I was like, it's like they're competitive grieving. I'm going to write a book called competitive grieving. Yeah. He was like, okay. (laughs) And so I did. Yeah. Here here four years later. Yeah. Yeah. And so the book is not, um, the book is definitely not my story and the character is not him. Um, And I, I really made sure to create like to differentiate in those ways, but um. I did, uh, I did in base it in some ways on my experience Mm -hmm. with that. Yeah. 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 I, I, well, I wrote that question down before I finished the book. And then when I finished the book, I kind of went through the acknowledgements and I saw that you had mentioned, you know, I'm guessing the friend who you lost and and that kind of, that kind of like, it was like, Oh, that's, that's probably the answer to the question. So Yeah. Yeah, um, no, but it's it's good to know because I think people are often interested in like how much is personal for or like uh how much is taken from real life and how much mm-hmm. isn't in books and and in some ways all my books are sort of a mishmash of that and this yeah. one certainly is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm going to just because, you know, this is kind of based on people that you've interacted with and everything or, you know, some of the behaviors. Um I'm going to jump ahead actually to a question um specifically about the vultures as so Mm -hmm. affectionately called um I mean all of all of the characters in the book are very like they're very vibrant and they're very like you can really kind of envision knowing a person like them in real life um so you know you say that the story it's obviously not your own story and you know your friend is not Stuart but these other characters around Ren, you know, going through this with her, were they kind of loosely based on specific people or did you kind of more envision them as like stereotypes of the kinds of people that they are? Yeah, I think that's like a really interesting question. I, um, I think in general, when I write characters, um, I am always borrowing from things I observe. Um, so when I see that somebody has like, I'm especially compelled when somebody when I look at somebody and I sort of unconsciously care- categorize them a certain way, and then I find out something about them that like shifts my understanding of them. Um, just the way in which people are like dimensional, like you think you see them one way and then they have this quality that like you wouldn't expect, you know? Um, and so, and when I sort of see that, I, I think I unconsciously note it. Sometimes I write it down. Um and so when I create characters and the vultures, especially, they're really amalgamations. Like I, they're, I'm, I'm drawing from like conversations I had. In some cases, there are things really people really said or, or things that um, people did that are sort of related. But in some cases, it's like 
me being like, oh my God, what if somebody did this? And, mm-hmm. you know, um, but like a character like Blair, who is kind of like, in my mind, one of the worst of the vultures, mm-hmm. um, like there's a million sort of experiences I've had that have informed the creation of that character. You know, she's not one person, um, but she has pieces of, of many, not just people, but interactions yeah. that, that I've had. Yeah, definitely. Clearly not very positive interactions. Yeah. <laughs> not your favorite interactions. Not my favorite. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and it, and it was just like talking about my personal experience reading the book. It was it was definitely, and I think it was, you know, maybe intentional just as far as, you know, the experience you want the reader to have. But, you know, what, what I, you know, I took Ren's side reading the book. You know, I'm watching these characters do these horrible things. And I'm like, no, this is bad. And you're being mean to Ren and stop it. Yeah. But I, then I did have that thought when I was getting closer to the end of the book. I was like, are they going to have a redemption moment, though? Like, they have to, right? And and they kind of did. You know, they all kind of did have their redemption moment, which was good. But I, I think, again, still kind of like Ren, you know, like she acknowledged it. And she was like, oh, like, I appreciate that you've kind of, you know, said something. But deep down, you're also still like, you're still kind of a jerk, though. So I mean, I'll tell you just honestly that in my first draft of the book, I mean, no first draft of a book is ever what it ends up being. But in my first draft of the book, they were really not redeemed. Yeah. Um, and I had a, a little bit of a hard time redeeming them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I I sort of I came around to it partially for the sake of the, the arc of the book, um, but also because... I think I started to see, I think I started to have a different kind of empathy for people in like their grieving process. Like, I think I started to understand that even when people behave badly, it's often because like, they just want to be seen, you know, they just want to be acknowledged and feel like they were important in that person's life. And they're just looking for some kind of like validation, you know, and, and as much as like, I don't always love the way people try to get it. Um, I still appreciate, I understand where that is coming from at least more right. now. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I, I, I don't know if, yeah, if the characters hadn't been redeemed in the final book, I feel like I probably would have also been okay with that. So I, yeah. Okay. That's good <laughs> yeah. to know. I, I probably would have been like, mm, yeah, like, yeah. okay. <laughs> um, but at least like, I felt like even more than redeeming them, what seemed important was, this idea of Ren's vision of them evolving, you know? So like, it wasn't really that they changed. It was that the way that she saw them change, you know, and herself in like her own capability. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I think that's definitely a more, you know, powerful thing to see at the end of the book is yeah, your main character. Cause I mean, obviously like, you know, the story is told through Ren's point of view. So we're really, you know, we're following her. And so, yeah, to not see her kind of complete that journey and that arc of the story, that would be more disappointing than those side characters not getting the redemption that they maybe are maybe not deserved. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely agree there. Uh, Speaking of also uh, people and their behavior, do you think, do you think there could be people out there that are just really that heartless and terrible to like behave like the vultures did and they just like are legitimately terrible people and they're not just grieving in a kind of shitty way? Um, I mean, I guess what I would say is, like I said, like I did develop 
more empathy for people in their grief. Like, I think that there's a lot, I think there's more that you have to forgive people in those really difficult times than you want to, or than is seems natural. Um, but I think some people are just selfish, selfish and suck also, <laughs> I mean, to be honest, like, I, I think some people like need to make things about themselves and, you know, like grieving is hard for everybody and loss is hard for everybody, but in an ideal world, um, you would still be able to be generous enough to, um, you know, so understand, well, and this is where compet- the notion of competitive grieving, like in a, in a traditional sense comes in, right? Like you'd be at least aware, self-aware enough to understand where you stand in the hierarchy of, of the loss, you know? So like, this is where it comes in where people like um, post on social media before the family gets to, or like, you know, it's like, who, who, who are you in this, situation. And I guess, you know, like, how can you not make it about you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) loss is a very, it's a very personal thing. And I think, yeah, sometimes it can accidentally like kind of tip over into the selfish realm, but yeah, that's hard to, that's hard to tell someone they're grieving wrong. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And, And I have like, I have a close friend who, um, had a similar t- kind of loss mm-hmm. um, a few months after I did. And the the group of friends she had around who were close with that person, they just, they were closer already. They were like already kind of a group as opposed to just like unique individuals from a person's life who are trying to navigate each other in the aftermath. Yeah. Um, and her friends, like they really came together and everybody was like their best self. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it could go either way, you know, like you never, you never really know, but it's such a different thing for it to be like your friend group versus like a group of people who, you know, but like, as yeah. in the book, um, but who aren't like your people, but yeah, people you, dealt, you knew because of your friend, you know? Right. Yeah. The, the friend that is now gone is the only thing that tied you together. That's issue. Exactly. Yeah. That's that's a different experience altogether. So it's like when you have to introduce your other friends to your other friend group and you're like, are they going to get along? I don't know. It's exactly cool great. Yeah. It's like so awkward, except now like you're the, you're missing and they're trying to like deal with each other in yeah. their worst place. Yeah. 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 Like, yeah. Why would you do this to us? <laughs> yeah. And that's um, right. Right. What, what Ren says to Stuart throughout in the letters, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Or the, or the thoughts or whatever they are. Yeah. I, yeah, I kind of envisioned them as letters, even if they were just written in her head. So I did, I did too. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, so, you know, this story is very clearly kind of inspired by something that happened in your own life, but do you, writing a book about, you know, someone that has passed away, do you also have a secret fascination with death like I do, or was it just the experience that was like, yes, we're going to do this? Tell me, tell me your secrets, Nora. (laughs) I'm like, what are my secrets? Um, (laughs) What are my secrets? Um, I think, I mean, I feel like it's natural to have a fascination with death to an extent, you know, and I feel like at times I think I struggle to to have the balance between like 
thinking about obsessing over it too much and, and sort of, cause it's like, you can't live your life if you spend too much time thinking about it. Right. Um, but it's so interesting cause you asked me that. And the first thing that comes into my head is that when I was, I think I want to say like 16 or something, mm-hmm. I went to visit a friend of mine moved to Wisconsin and I went to visit her mm-hmm. and on the plane ride home, I had to take like a small plane and I, I've never been afraid of flying, but we hit like an insane storm. And it was like to the point where like suitcases were falling off the thing and the, the pilot sounded real nervous. And it was like, and I literally spent the entire, I spent the flight instead of like in crash position, um, writing a lit, a guest list for my funeral. Like I was like, who would come? (laughs) So I guess like I've always, in some ways that feels like a precursor to this, you know, um, I guess yeah. I'm sort of, I'm interested in death. I'm interested in funerals. Um, and I also on, on like sort of um, a more significant level, I feel like it's really, especially right now in the world. And of course I had no idea the book was going to, there was going to be a pandemic and the book was going to come out in this time when there's been like so much loss and every, so many people are grieving for in so many different ways. Um I feel like I'm, I feel like the idea of normalizing conversations around grief, this idea that like, you should be able to talk about it and you should be able to tell people when you're having a hard time and that it doesn't just end after a funeral. Um, that I feel like that's really important and something I think about a lot. Yeah. Well, I would 100% agree with you. Um, I've, I, I do again, I mean, I think, yeah, maybe everyone in their way has like a sort of fascination with death, maybe on different levels. Yeah, um, but I, I started, I started my own kind of unexpected fascination with death, maybe like a few years ago. And it was because I read, um, Caitlin Doty's, uh, smoke gets in your eyes. I don't know oh. if you've heard of this book, but it's, um, it's her memoir of her working in a crematory. Um, and she started working in a crematory very young. I think she was only like 23 or 24. Um, so, so yeah, so I kind of read that book and then I was like, like, and just a lot of the stuff she talks about in there, one of them being that, you know, we need to normalize conversations about death and have it be less taboo and less scary because it's something that's going to happen to all of us. And it's much easier to be prepared for it than pretend it doesn't exist. And then yeah. someone you lose dies and now you're like, well, what do we do? Um, yeah, I also did really appreciate the the her in my head I think of it as kind of like one of her coping mechanisms Ren where she plans people's funerals totally I think I kind of I think maybe appreciated it a little more because I work in a funeral home right now which is amazing by the way like (laughs) and did that book also move you to be like maybe I could work in a funeral home it well I'd been working in the funeral home before I saw it but definitely Uh the, the fascination with death and the fact that I was am currently working in a funeral home again was why the uh, something called competitive grieving I'm like excuse me <laughs> competitive grieving let's let's see uh so it definitely the funeral home definitely increased my interest in your book so that they kind of tie together um, <laughs> it's just so interesting I, I know that this is slightly off topic but what do you no, do there so right now I'm currently their office manager I won't mm-hmm. say where because I don't want to get in trouble but right. so the primary thing I do is office stuff, which coming from working seven years in a bookstore, I have now determined, well, just 
in general too. I've determined that I can't do an office job. It's too boring for me, right. um, <laughs> but I do also help doing the removals. So going to where people have passed and bringing them to the funeral home. Um, and I've done, you know, I've done like stuff in the back as well, like getting bodies ready for viewings and things like that. So and that does, I mean, that has to normalize things to a certain extent. If you're like, yeah. that's like the in and out of in of your day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, yeah, it is a weird, you know, well, and, you know, like we were talking earlier where sometimes you'll make comments about things and to you, yeah, it's your job and it's just kind of what you do in a day. But from an outside perspective, people might be like, that's a little weird that you just said that. And I'm like, oh yeah, just to me, it's normal because <laughs> it's my job. Like I didn't mean it that way. Right. Um, yeah, it is. It has normalized it in a weird way. Um, but but going back to your point, I mean, preparing for it and taking away that taboo of talking about death, I think is also very important because, yeah. you know, yeah, like it's a thing that's going to happen and much, much easier for everyone to be prepared for it and be a little less just terrified of, I mean, I don't think anyone's ever going to get over their fear of death completely, but to yeah. be a little less frightful of it, I think, again, just benefits everyone. So yeah, yeah. I think so too. Yeah. Well, hopefully this book kind of, you know, like you said, people reaching out to you, hopefully again, it kind of helps people who are grieving and maybe is kind of that sort of example of, you know, yeah, it's okay to talk about death. And when you're upset over a loss, you know, we should talk about it. I mean, I, I'm really hopeful that it's like, it allows, it allows for some kind of catharsis in that way for people and like, also just like a kind of commiseration and then because it's like comedic that hopefully like it sort of allows for some release in like the, the humor department too, you know? Yeah. 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 I did. I appreciated that. The kind of sort of, you know, level of self-deprecating humor and the just kind of, I don't know how else to, the just kind of sarcastic dry humor as well. That was, I think that was nicely woven into the book to make it, you know, it's a sad, it's a sad topic, but you have a little bit of levity in there. So. Yeah. And I think like, I mean, at least I hope it's not like it, I hope it isn't feel heavy. You know what I mean? Despite the heavy topic that it's kind of um, hopeful. Yeah. I would say so. (laughs) (laughs) That's my personal reason. Um, Speaking of heavy topics, let's dive into some. Uh, Not, I don't want to give away any spoilers, but mental illness does play a part in this book. Um, how is it to write something like that into, into a book? Because I mean, obviously in the book it's talked about as, or, you know, speaking specifically of the situation, it was something that was kind of hidden away and Mm -hmm. tried to be ignored. And, you know, we didn't want to talk about it and it's mental health has certainly become a more prominent topic and people are more aware of it nowadays, but it's still not completely. Um, So I wonder what that was kind of like for you trying to, like do it justice in the book and make sure you talked about it in a respectful yeah. way. I mean, it was, it was kind of, um, it's, it's sometimes I wonder, you know, it's like there's certain choices you make when you're writing a book that are kind of unconscious. Mm-hmm. And then like you look back and you're like, Oh, um, I totally agree with you talking about mental health and making that less taboo is also like a big sort of movement right now and really important, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly, like, or not, <laughs> um, like I'm historically somebody who's like a lot more anxious than depressed. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but in the wake of losing my friend and certain other, like, you know, the, the world felt very in flux in 2017, you know, we had a, a new president and, um, things just felt like they were changing. I, there were just a lot of like sort of losses. Um, and I actually had a baby, my second kid and, um, who was a source of total joy. I have to say like total, like that really like saved me in certain ways. But, um, I think I was like depressed for the first time in my life really. Um, and I would just spend, I didn't, at the time, I don't know if I would have characterized it that way so much as I was just like sad and like, but I was, I would spend my days like with this baby and he was so easy. He was like a one, he was like the baby I could handle at that moment. Um, but I would, my husband would actually make fun of how I was like always listening to like really maudlin, like, like indie music and like, and I would just like sort of like cry and walk around and like hug the baby and like, but, and I sort of, I think it, I didn't even realize what was happening at the time, but I think in retrospect, that might have been why I, I chose that particular issue for Stu, uh, for Stuart. Mm-hmm. Um, or I guess um, I've just sort of, yeah. whatever, okay. for, or whoever the character is who has Stuart or whoever. Yeah. Whoever. Yeah. Um, yeah. But um, yeah. So like, I, I, I think like, it was kind of cathartic to write about that and to think about it. Um, and then especially the idea of like trying to hide it in certain ways and, and why that isn't, doesn't work to anyone's benefit ultimately. And, and that kind of thing, it just, it feels like important to talk about, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm also curious because there were a couple and of course now I can't remember exactly what they were, but the, the section in the book where Ren kind of um, finally goes to look at his social media, Stuart's social media, mm-hmm. it was, there was just like one very short line. I don't, again, I don't remember what it was exactly, but it was just a line that really kind of struck me as far as the way social media now plays its part in someone's death. And, and it was actually kind of funny too, because I think I read that. And then a few days later, I saw someone that had tweeted, you know, that, oh, like, I lost my mom today and, you know, wrote something about it. And I just think it's so weird that death feels like it's a very private thing and a very personal thing, but now we have this thing that makes it very public, even like, even for people that aren't celebrities, you know, what, yeah. What are your thoughts um, on that? Well, I, I, so it's so interesting. I know I like, as soon as you started to say that, I was like, I know exactly what line she's talking about. Yeah. It's like where I sort of like, for a second address the idea of like, um, like when celebrities die, like every, the competitive grieving, like online um, people like posting why somebody was significant, even like a celebrity they didn't know was significant to them. And it was like their childhood, like a piece of Mm -hmm. their experience and Mm -hmm. um, the sort of taking ownership in those ways. And, you know, I felt very, I felt pretty judgmental about that, I would say for a long time. And then during COVID, I started to feel really different about it because um, I also started to see, I think we all did, if we were like on Twitter in particular, for some reason, um, a lot of people posting like, I lost my son today. I lost my partner of 40 years today. I lost, you know, my mom to whatever. Mm -hmm. And, um, 
people were so isolated and like locked down and it was like a way to find community, you know, in this like super difficult time. And, and inevitably like, it was really interesting to me because I would go and read the whole feed um, when I saw that Um, partially because I was like thinking about all of these ideas because the book was coming out and I was like, um, and there was always like one person who was like, why are you posting about this so publicly? Like, if you're really sad, what you wouldn't do that, you know, um, like trolling. And, and then people would be like, shut up. Like, <laughs> you know, and people need to grieve how they need to grieve or whatever. Um, but then it was like, so touching, like you would just see this like massive outpouring of, of sympathy and, um, there were many, many people who posted in those ways, but, um, there were a few specific situations. There was um, like a CNN reporter whose baby died. It was like really sad, not to do with COVID, but had some kind of, I think a brain tumor or something. But I mean, it was like hundreds of thousands of people being like, you know, like, I'm so sorry for your loss. Like truly like, so sorry, you know, and coming from like the corners of the globe and like, everybody's like locked down in their homes and, in in some ways, what what started as sort of like an expression of like kind of gross, what felt kind of gross when it was like back in the day on Facebook talking about like celebrities started to become something that I saw as like community in like a legitimate way, you know? Um, so I think I've like, I've like, I, not only has my perspective on it evolved, but I think that the world has changed, you know, like, I mean, people had no other option and they couldn't, as you know, they couldn't even have funerals, you know, and that kind of thing, like all those rites of passage, all those like ways that you're supposed to try to like mark the, the, what happened and try to move past it. Like they didn't exist. So like people invented new ways. I don't know. Do you see it as, do do you see it as having changed in certain ways? Well, if anything, mostly just right now, like just you talking about it and how it is a way for people to find community when we're very isolated. Mm-hmm. Okay. I didn't even really think about it that way, but yeah, I mean, that's a, a really valid way. And again, there's no wrong way to grieve. I guess there's shittier ways to grieve, but there's no wrong way. To grieve. So again, <laughs> if someone, yeah, feels they need to put this out there in that public way for whatever kind of validation or, you know, acknowledgement or whatever. I mean, that's their business, I suppose. Like no one, no one should tell you what you, well, maybe some people should tell certain people what not to post on social media, right. <laughs> but for something, something like that. For their own benefit. Yeah. Yes. Right. This is for you and for us a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's, I, I kind of like that idea. And I think, just uh, again, talking about the vultures, talking about judging people posting about a you know a really personal thing on social media, it does always kind of start in that judgmental way. I think just because of you know we're we're all kind of selfish, and so if you see something that you wouldn't do, you're like, that's dumb. Like, why, why would you do, do that? that? Yeah. <laughs> but then yeah. you have to remind yourself, uh, it's not about you. But right. like, they're not, you know, and isn't that just Twitter all over, right? Like you see something and it's like, none of this has to do with you. I didn't post this for you. You're just freaking out about it. You're just freaking out. Yeah. yeah the, like, like there's no, there's no need totally. for it. Yeah. Like rash response. Yeah. I think yeah. that that's totally, I mean, also like, 
and some of them predate a lot of them, I think predated COVID, but are like getting more attention now, but there's also all these like platforms like on Instagram and stuff like modern loss um, and and place and like that um, where people are meant to like online communities where people are meant to go and just like, and they're speaking to a certain griever. You know what I mean? Like they're speaking to like a younger, more contemporary griever, which right. is a funny thing to think about in those ways. But, yeah. you know, um, yeah. it's interesting. It is very interesting. It, yeah. I think it's just one of those ways the world is changing that the people, you know, people from the generation where that just wasn't how they grew up or not what they did when that happened, they just are adjusting to it and realizing it's just a different way of doing things now. So yeah. Yeah. Very weird. Was, did, did you intentionally make Stuart a public figure to kind of accentuate that or was, did it just kind of make sense to have him be this public figure to, I guess, maybe bring in more eccentric characters? Um, I mean, I think I made, um, because that allowed me to attack the idea of competitive grieving on multiple levels, right? So, like, um, like the public and the private. Mm-hmm. At one point, like, one of the people who blurbed my book, like, another author, Emily Adrian, she read it and she her blurb said something about, um, I'm going to misquote it, but she had this really beautiful way of expressing it, which was she was talking about, like, uh, private grief, like, and public performance or something like that. Um, like, and, and just this idea that like, so there's like the public competitive grieving, right. And then that has to do with celebrity, like people being online, being like, you know, um, whoever it is, was like my person. And like, this meant everything to me when I was 13 and it's like a piece of me. Um, And then there's what happens privately where people are like planning a funeral together, a memorial, or who's going to speak and who at the, who's going to give the eulogy and who gets to make decisions and have what from that they've owned and all that stuff. And so having him be a public figure allowed me to sort of play with that a little bit on two levels. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also think that like, when it comes to famous people, like, or having somebody like notable or even like kids in high school and like the popular kids or whatever it is, um, everybody is clawing to be like validated and like acknowledged in some way or understood as like close to this person. And like, if you have somebody in your circle, who's kind of like well-known, um, like you see people doing it even when they're alive. Mm-hmm. So I think like it, it allowed it, it like, raised that issue for him being like a notable person raised that issue um it on all these different levels and so it was like it made it even more like sort of clear you know what I mean yeah Um, Yeah. but I also am kind of obsessed with like the idea of like fame um because I'm obsessed with how obsessed other people are with it (laughs) like I'm like yeah um and that might have to do like I grew up in New York um and then I lived in LA for like all of my twenties. Um, and it was in part during the period of time when like Paris Hilton became like a thing and like Lindsay Lohan and they were like 
calling like us weekly to like take pictures of them walking into like shops on like Kitson and like whatever it was. And, um, and it was really like the era of famous for nothing. Um, and like, I, and like the Kardashian kind of stuff, like that stuff just, I don't, I'm so, I don't even know if I should like admit this. I don't even, I don't get it at all. Um, so I like, and sometimes I'm like, am I like a traitor to my generation? Why do I not, why don't I not understand this? Um, and so I think I'm like a bit fascinated with it. For I, that. I would agree. Um, and if you're, if you're a traitor to your generation, I am also a traitor to my generation. <laughs> I also don't understand. Like, I, I don't, I don't get it. I mean, I guess in a really tiny way, I can understand from like an escapist kind of yeah mentality like i just want to watch the kardashians and their drama and not think about my own life for a while yeah but like maybe for like 20 minutes and then i'd probably be like the fuck am i doing with my life and (laughs) go on with my day yeah i think it's also yeah yeah. i think i actually like like um I remember there were really periods of time where I would go out to dinner with like girlfriends and they would spend like the whole time talking about real housewives. And I'd be like, I literally have never seen it. And then, so I like made myself watch a little bit. Like I was like, I'm going to watch this. And I was like, I can't watch this because it depresses me. Yeah. yeah like <laughs> I don't yeah. Know, this is depressing to me. Yeah. Like these people were like, it's just felt like, I don't know. So um, it's like lowest common denominator. I don't know, like yeah. producers but, making them behave at their worst and us rewarding them by like watching and them making tons of money. Yeah, yeah. It's it a, and it's a really sick, like perverted kind of cycle of like negative reinforcement. Yeah. It, yeah. Oh. I mean, and and it led for I realize not everyone feels the same way about this, but it led to us um electing a reality tv star as our president yeah <laughs> i yeah. think it did like in part like i really felt like when that happened i was like oh we created this mm, like yeah. this is like totally if nothing could be more like timely and like america is like the the monster that american culture created you know yeah oh yeah definitely i i would agree with that too it's yeah i mean yeah well plus i don't know Americans are just kind of weird. Sometimes I think about how the rest of the world sort of like reacts and responds to things. And then I think about how America does it. And we're just like so hyper individualistic that that's the ultimate thing. And that's how like we make our decisions and we can't have any sense of like altruism or community to do what's best for all of us. And it just right. gets us people like our left president. Right. So. We're like, we're, we're, yeah, you're like always um, behaving in your own self-interest. Which yeah. I guess brings you back to the vultures also. Right, yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Tying it back in with the book. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, that's most of my big hard hitting questions. The last one that I have to know uh, is can you give me a brief summary of what Manic Mondays is about? Because I Okay, I have this Okay. That is my favorite question I've gotten about this book yet. No <laughs> one has asked me that. I love that so much for anybody who who's watching or watches and hasn't read the book. um, The main character, um, the friend who has died, um, which I, this isn't, he dies. He's, it happens very quickly. (laughs) It's not a spoiler. (laughs) Yeah. um, Is the star of a, a TV show. That's like really famous called manic Mondays. 
Um, I love that you asked that. And it literally sent me into this whole, like I was thinking about um, like, I should write a spinoff book, like a Manic yeah, Monday spinoff. A little novella would be perfect. Uh-huh. Um, like, like how Rainbow Rowell did with... Um, yeah, Carry On. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I know the one. <laughs> yes. Um, but um, the answer is that in my head, it was like a Friends kind of ensemble show okay. about like a bunch of 20-somethings, like trying to get it their shit together, basically. Mm-hmm. Um and like figure out what to do with their lives. And um, he was like the quirkier, like Chandlery kind of character, but like, but like a broader humor kind of like, um, like with the kitschy t-shirts and the mm-hmm. like catchphrases. Right. Um, so like, like a little bit more movie. like sitcom Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. but yeah. The, in my head, that's, that's what Manic Mondays was. Gotcha. But now I like you, now that you've asked that question, I'm like, I want to write and watch Manic Mondays. Yeah, we really need to flesh this out a little more. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, it was just mentioned so many times. And, you know, you kind of got hints and mentions of stuff, but you never really got like the synopsis. And so I was like, what is this show about? Like, do I want to watch it? I don't know. So, yeah. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you for giving me. Now I can entertain ideas. Oh, you're like, well, I was also thinking it's so funny because Friends is having this crazy like moment right now because of the reunion. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, it's like a, it's totally that. Like yeah. I'm watching the reunion of Friends was such like a nostalgic, weird thing that also sort of tied into this idea of like the passage of time and relationships and loss and all of that stuff too. Yeah. It's just funny. Yeah. Cool. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad I could ask you the one question that made you so happy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, well, like I said, that's all my questions. This has been fantastic talking to you about this book. I had a great time reading it. It was it was a little odd because it was again, it wasn't like a super heavy, like sad book, but it did always kind of put me into that place of like, oh yeah, like people die and life is hard sometimes. So it was weird <laughs> to like read the book and go into that mode. And then I would like go on with my day and I'd be like, oh, everything's fine. So everything's okay. Yeah. I'm like, good. yeah. Cause yeah, you're like on, it makes sense. Cause you're like on that journey with her. I mean, that yeah. actually makes me happy that you're, and I know a lot of people have been like, um, like, I think somebody was saying like, it'll make you la- cry and laugh and cry again. Yeah. <laughs> that's very, yes. That's an accurate description. Yeah. Cause, and yeah, cause like I said, you do really feel like you're there in Ren's head and you're seeing everything through her eyes and you're feeling her highs and lows and and all of that so yeah also, I'm, I'm, glad I, you, I'm glad you gave her a love interest because that was also a nice little like oh, at least she has someone <laughs> through this <laughs> I terrible I was just about to say I always at the end of talking about like grief and loss and all of this stuff I I always want to be like uh, there's a love story there, yeah. there, there's something yeah. it's not just the sad stuff there's there's love stuff too it's good yeah no and yeah. actually I don't know I'm sorry I I'll like I'll totally no, I know no, no. I mean, it, I'm not in a rush I'm just yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I just I'm I'm because a bunch of people have recommended it to me because of the topic I'm reading Beach Read right now have you oh, read that love Beach Read yes and it's it has it's I I was like whoa this is like really in a similar vein in certain yeah. ways. Yeah, um, about, yeah there is she lost her like, dad, right? Yeah, that's like yeah. the premise is that she's like mourning her dad and also like her 
it's similarly like her understanding of who he was versus what, who she found out he was after right. he died. Um, yeah, because oh, it's all, it's been a while since I've read it. It's all coming back to me now. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, um, but then there's like all this banter and like romance and right. anyway, I I was like, oh, see, I'm not the only person trying not, to. You're not the only one. Lost yeah. through. Yeah. Love and humor. Yeah. Okay. And that's that's probably the best way to process it. If you know, if there if are can. best ways. So yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But no, yeah, Beatrice <laughs> is great. I've got her other book actually. Um, People we meet on vacation, I think. Oh, yes. So yeah. I have that one. I still haven't picked it up, but I'm very excited too. Cause yeah, Beach Read was just like fantastic. So yeah. I also yeah. just kind of, you know, it had that extra little like allure because it was about writers. And I'm like, oh my God. Yes. <laughs> and she, and so. she like now I'm getting really off course. But she <laughs> yes, and she goes off on this whole thing about like the the character does mm-hmm. about like women's fiction and why is there a category called women's fiction? And if I was a man, it would just be called fiction. Right. And like and I was like, that, exactly. Like, I was like, yes, this. Yeah. No, yeah. When any, anytime, like, I hear the word chiclet thrown around somewhere, I'm just like, who said it? Who said it? Right. <laughs> have a conversation. Yeah. 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 Like, no, <laughs> it's just fiction. Yeah. That predominantly women like, but there's, that's nothing, that's not the thing. That's not the thing to focus on. Yeah. And actually, yeah. interestingly, the last few people who have, I, I was telling you, I know beforehand that people, that one of the wonderful things about this book is that people have been reaching out to me to share like ways in which the book has sort of helped them a little bit or felt, feel like seen in their grief, um, their own like real life grief. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, that's an amazing thing for me, where just very rewarding for me to feel like it could have that impact. Um, but um the last few people who have reached out to me have been men. Oh, that's a nice surprise. Yes. And also very, like that very encouraging thing too, where it's like, Oh my God, these men are in touch with their feelings. This is, Mm -hmm. there's there's hope. Yes. Yes. (laughs) There's an emotional IQ out there. There, Yes. We're getting it back. Yeah. Well, that's, (laughs) that's awesome. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, do we have any other tangents we should cover before we wrap up? I think we're good. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I feel like we covered a really good range of things. Yeah, I would yeah. say. Yeah. I've enjoyed it. It's It's been good. It's been a good chat. I like it. Um, all right. So, yeah, that has been our conversation with Nora Zelovansky about her new book, Competitive Grieving. Um, you don't have a copy there, too. It's got a really great cover. And, of course, I had to read it on an e-arc, so... Like, can I run away and come back? Is that yeah, right? run away? I'll just I'll keep telling people about how they can find out more about the book while you're gone. Um, if you want to know more about uh, Nora and the other books that she has written, you can go to her website, norazelavansky.com. Uh, you can also find her on various social medias. We will put uh, information. We'll type it out. Oh, look, there it is. Look at that lovely, bright cover. Why are there birds Actually, on it? I I feel like. I should, is that okay I was like I feel like I should know this from the <laughs> got it okay that makes sense so I was like oh, we actually we had so many conversations about it in terms yeah. of the themes I was yeah. like well people get it they look like vultures but ultimately yeah. it doesn't have to be so beautiful it doesn't even matter but um yeah it's just a nice cover anyway but yeah it's a but nice it does, cover yeah. and 
And then, and actually when I received the books, which is always like a wonderful experience, like when you get your box of like books for yeah. the first time, you yeah. know, and sometimes you like have your book. Mm-hmm. I had, I knew what the cover was going to be obviously, but I had no idea what the actual book would be underneath. Oh yeah. The actual book is so pretty. It's like blue with pink. It's really nice. Here. Oh, yeah. It's always exciting. Yeah. The, the undies as. Oh yeah. That is nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. It's just, yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> I don't. That's my that's my pitch. Oh, and yeah. it has gold. No, oh <laughs> yes, it's got it's got a really nice color scheme. I like this. All right. Um, what was I saying? It's telling people to go. Oh yes, we'll put um social media information and website information in the credits of the video and in the video description, so you can find whoever you need. I feel like I might have lost Nora. Um, if you want more information about the book, you can also go to crowded-bookshelf.org um, or you can go to bookshop.org and well, find Nora's book and many other great ones. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in and watching. Nora, thank you so much for being here. This was a great conversation. And, thank you. Uh, it was I so hope, fun. Yeah. I'm, I, I, I was also looking at other books. I will probably go back and read them because they also sounded fun and interesting. Um, Oh, good. Thank you. Read Nora's books because this one was good. So the other ones are probably also good. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thank you so much. Yeah, this has been great. Um, Thank you again for everyone who's watching. This has been Speaking Volumes. I've been Renee. This has been Nora. And uh, we'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks.